0: Uh, recording on some of the things that we need to know about Israel. And then next week I'll be in Israel, and then I'm going to report back to you what the Lord is doing there uh, and what the Lord is is using this church body to do in Israel. it's very important for you guys to understand that the Lord is choosing to use this small little church body to bless and to partake in what the Lord is doing in the nation of Israel. Amen? Amen. That's amazing. amazing. It's amazing for a crew of 40, 50 people to be doing that. So, we're going to begin today in Romans chapter 11, uh, and we're just going to pray for the grace of the Lord to organize everything today. Uh, Because this sermon right here, this little teaching, for many of you, it's going to be the first time you heard some of these things. Uh, For some of you, it may have been a while since you've heard of such things, and really, uh, what it's about is what is the purpose and what is the understanding of the nation of Israel and also the Jewish people today in the 21st century? What is its spiritual and physical importance to the world and uh, really to the uh, body of Messiah? And so there's a, there's a lot, and this is meant to be like a rudimentary, very like an elementary level type of stuff. There's a lot of things we can share on, I would like to share on, But we need to create a basic, essentially, theologically firm foundation of the role of Israel and the Jewish people in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? So that's really what we're doing. And so the first thing here is just, I would like to ask you a question. Um, In your opinion, who are some of the least reached people groups in America um, by spreading the gospel? Some of the, the, the least reached people groups. The Amish, yeah, I mean, I met some Amish, and uh, a lot of the ones I've met, uh, I'm like, they are saved, man. I'm like, whoa, I mean, they really love the Lord. Some are just, right, brought up in the culture and doing their thing, but they're a closed-off community, absolutely. Some other groups. Yeah, Muslims and Jewish people, absolutely. That's pretty much where we're getting at. A lot of people have a a fear in some regards of sharing the gospel uh, with both Muslim people and Jewish people. I would say some other uh, unreached people groups could be some of the native populations out on reservations. If anyone's ever been to a Native American reservation, you can see what's going on there. Maybe some in the inner city as well. Uh, you know where I'm getting at, but one of the uh, really important things here uh, is that the two sons of Abraham, right, the Jewish people and also the Arab people are some of the two least reached people groups, which is like totally ironic if you really think about it. Very, Very ironic. Good especially when we're talking about the Jewish people. So let's, uh, let's open up to Romans chapter 11 to give some clarity uh, on what we have here. So this is Paul the Apostle speaking. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? He's uh, referring to the Jewish people. And the response is, certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. We then go forward to verse 11 of chapter 11. And we see a little bit more of an articulation of what's going on. This is Paul once again saying, I say then, have they, the Jewish people, stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles, meaning non-Jews. Now, if their fall is the riches for the world, and their failure, riches for the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be? But life from the dead. So what we have here... Um, from these scriptures that we need to just dissect here is that this is a letter that is being written to the Romans right in the Roman Empire and essentially what has happened here is the Romans the Gentiles the non-Jews have begun to get a little haughty like who are these Jewish people they've rejected the gospel who needs them blah 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 all this kind of stuff Paul says whoa guys wait a minute. Um, it is true that many of the Jewish people in the first century did not follow the ways of Yeshua or the ways of Jesus, right? Yeshua being Jesus is his name. But he says, be careful here. Uh, yes, they have not all come to faith, and you guys have come to faith. Um, but keep this in mind. Part of the reason why you came to faith is, in fact, is a goal and a purpose to provoke Jewish people to spiritual jealousy. Part of your role as a Christian is to show the Jewish people the gospel and almost, in a way, make them spiritually jealous, provoke them to jealousy of the Scriptures. Another thing that we see here is, okay, if, this is what's so powerful, the Lord. The Lord is saying, if, by and large, at that time, Jewish people did not receive Christ... That is when many of the apostles, or really Paul, started to preach the good news to the Gentiles. If they, rejecting the gospel, not all of them, but many of them at the time, brought the gospel to you, look at the power that took place by their rejection. What will happen when the day comes that they do receive the gospel? The scriptures tell us. It will be life from the dead. I'm actually here to tell you that I fervently believe in the scriptures that when the Jewish people begin to call upon the name of the Lord, you are going to see a worldwide revival that you've never seen before. Like you've never seen before. And the powerful thing is it's happening. It's beginning to happen. And that's why we want to take this day to really emphasize what's going on. And that's why your pastor is going next week to be a part of what the Lord is doing there. Now, Today can be a little theological, so I want to like try to clarify. There are four main things that we're doing today. And so this is a little bit more of teaching kind of a Sunday opposed to like an exhortation. But it's very important for you to go forward in the understanding of, of the full gospel. Four things here. The call, which is uh, a notion of the olive tree. Then something known as the confusion, which is something known as replacement theology. And then real practical. Number three, your role in all of this. And then what should we remember? Right, so that's what we're going through today. So, the first thing is a concept of what we call the olive tree. Uh, This is uh, Paul giving further discussion on on this dichotomy between Jewish believers, or really uh, Jewish people in general, and Gentiles at the time. Uh, And he referenced the, the, the kingdom of God like an olive tree. This is found in Romans chapter 11. Verse 17, like I said, this, this may be the first time many of you have heard things like this. So I want to really kind of systematically break it down. And if some of the branches of the olive tree were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root But the root supports you. You will say, then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivative olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. This is Paul saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about this Jewish-Gentile dichotomy. Has anyone ever heard of such teachings on, on stuff like this before? Alright, so one, uh, there's about four of you. One person saying once. but it's interesting. Paul is saying, I do not wish you Roman-Gentiles to be ignorant of this divine call. Do, do not be ignorant of this. This is how important this is. It takes like three chapters in Romans to systematically discuss it. Do not be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, what do we learn from this passage? I'm gonna break it down real simple. Paul is saying that the family of God is like an olive tree. The root is Jesus, feeds the branches. And the branches, the natural branches, are the Jewish people. Then there are the wild branches that have been grafted in, which is a type of like uh, a gardening technique, farming technique, where you take branches from another tree, and you can actually graft them to become a part of the other tree. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, okay, yes, some of the branches, the natural branches, were broken off to make room for you. But don't be haughty, because if God was that quick to allow some to be broken that were natural, what on earth is he going to do with you? That have been grafted in that are wild. Now he says this and he says something very powerful here at the end. This has happened until it's a tough phrase. Until, and please read it so you know that I'm theologically sound here. It's down in verse 25. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What's going on here is in Scripture there is a time when there is going to be a ripening of the nations of the world, to receive Christ. And then there's a fullness that comes to an end. And that time period comes to an end, and you'll start to see an even greater outpouring of the gospel amongst God's firstborn people, the Jewish people. He says it has happened until the fullness, until we've grabbed in all the Gentiles that are to be. Now we're going to make an an extra emphasis on the Jewish people, but we'll get into that a little bit. So what do we learn from Romans chapter eleven? A couple of things here. One, the Romans have become haughty, forgetting the Jewish people. Second thing he says here is to be careful not to be haughty, because if if some of the branches have been broken off, how easy it could be to snuff out the Gentiles. Um, and then he says that there a blindness has come upon the Jewish people temporarily until there's a fullness of the Gentiles, and the Lord will begin to open up the eyes of the Jewish people again. We get a little bit of an understanding of this, of a scripture verse that has been um, said quite a bit in this congregation. That's Romans chapter 8, 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Um, I am not Jewish, there are some Jewish believers that are in our congregation, which is so awesome, because we can see the unity of God's family, amen? We have black and white, we have wealthier and poorer, we have Hispanic, we have Indian, we have a lot of nations that are represented here, and that's the family of God. But something that kind of dawned on me is that you, Romans, because he's writing to Romans, you have not received the spirit of adoption, you've received the spirit of adoption, Adoption is one that was an orphan and now has a father. What I just want to clarify here is this is a letter that's been written to Gentile non-Jewish believers. The seed, the physical seed of Abraham has not been adopted. They are the sons, the original firstborn sons of Abraham, physically and spiritually. But we that are non-Jewish people We're the ones that have been adopted in. But they're ones that have been born into that. So don't forget that you've been adopted in, but there are people that were never adopted in because they were actually the sons of Israel, the sons of God. And it's something to really keep intact. And and I made a promise to kind of speed things up, so we'll try. The uh, the next part that we need to just gain some understanding is, like I said, this is new for a lot of us. I'm trying to lay some foundational work. Uh, is something which is a source of confusion. What has happened here is that there's been a certain type of theology that has risen up, that has been preached for a long time, uh, that's been preached even in seminaries, and it's something known as replacement theology. Replacement theology is defined as this. It is the teaching that the Christian church has replaced natural Israel regarding the plan, purpose, and promise of God. That's the definition. I'll say it again. Replacement theology is a teaching that the Christian church has replaced the natural Israel regarding the plan, the purpose, and the promise of God. So every covenant and every promise that God has made with Israel, it's no longer for Israel and for the Jewish people. It is now for the church. That is called replacement theology. Which is very, very bad theology. Very dangerous. The way we have to look at this scripturally, the church has not replaced Israel, the church has joined Israel. We've been grafted in, we've become adopted into their covenant, the made with the Lord. Now, to clarify this, very important. Whether you are Jewish or not Jewish, there's only one way that the covenant has been sealed, and that's by the blood of the Lamb. And the only way to be saved is to call upon the name of Jesus. And that's how the the union takes place. But it's it's a very important thing. And just to give some scriptural proof text, one thing you have to do is you have to understand that the Bible is the entire Bible. There's too many Christians out there that just read the last 20%, which is complete embarrassment. The Bible is the Bible. It is the entire covenant of God. You have to read from Genesis to Revelation to really know what the Lord is doing you. See, this is the profound nature of things. God revealed himself to the sons of Abraham, to the Jewish people, to be a light unto all of the Gentiles. And the beautiful thing is their light has come to us. And now we're able to join Not replace, but to join them. Uh, Examples. Genesis 17, 7. Because the word of the Lord is is eternal. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Down in verse 7 it says this, I, the Lord thy God, will establish my covenant between me and you. And your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. How long is the covenant? Everlasting. The covenant is like, oh, once a bunch of Greeks, Turks, and Romans at that time. Because the gospel didn't get up to where my folks, my ancestors were until like, I don't know, maybe like hundreds of years later. Up into Germany, right? He's like, oh, once the gospel goes to the Romans and the Greeks and the Turks, then I forget about the Jews. No, my covenant with you, O Israel, is everlasting to you and your descendants forever. Forever. What is the covenant? There's a bunch of different things, but one very important thing, especially in the 21st century, is Genesis Genesis chapter 12. is the covenant with Abraham. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's four things that are in this Abrahamic covenant. One is land. Yes. Physical Actual land that seemingly the United Nations doesn't really want to support Israel. in A physical land. It's not the Jewish people's land. It is God's land that he said he's giving to Abram. So one thing is an actual geographical place that is called Israel. Two, that they will become a great nation. Three, that those that bless your nation will be blessed, and those that curse your nation will be cursed. And fourth, the most important one, from your seed the entire earth will be blessed. How is it that the seed of the Jewish people has blessed the entire earth? Through Jesus. Through the Jewish, Right? Another little proof text, Jeremiah 31, 31, beautiful, beautiful scripture. I'm just doing this because this is a theology that has been around for almost 2,000 years that needs to be broken down so you understand. And and just so you know, I I don't throw this card out there too much. This is one of the reasons why I really uh, felt comfortable joining the Assemblies of God, church denomination, because the AG denomination is very, very wholeheartedly in agreement with going up against replacement theology. And one of the fewer denominations out there that are both spirit-filled and also are saying the church has not replaced Israel. We have joined her. It's very, very important. There's lots of big-name ministries, powerful speakers, great worship teams who publish great books who do not get this. And it's very, very dangerous. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. God says, all the way back in Jeremiah, I am going to make a new covenant with who? With Israel. Israel. Does it say he's making a new covenant with America or Vatican City? No, I'm making a new covenant with my people. The law will no longer be on the stones, but it will be on their heart. All will know me, and I will forgive their sins. He did not make the covenant with ever the rest of the world. He made the covenant with the Jewish people. And the beauty is that we are able to be grafted in and be able to cry out with the spirit of full adoption, I am also your son and daughter. But there's a difference. It's not an exclusion. It is we get to be a part of. Sons of Abraham, old son, or father Abraham, had many sons. We're able to come into that, not kick them out. Now, this is very kind of peculiar. Are you guys into this or no? Paul, am I Okay. Uh-oh. So this is my mentor back there. So, um, One of the biggest questions. This is unbelievable. Like it, it makes me crack up every time I think about this. One of the biggest questions by the apostles. Does anyone know what it was outside of my wife, Paul, and Suzanne? Does anyone know one of the biggest questions they had? It's so comical. It's like pretty much like the prevailing question for the, one of the prevailing questions of the book of Acts. Oh, that, that may, that may trump the question i bring. So one of the top two. It might, it may, it may not. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, outside of who is Jesus that, that was rectified by, the, by the, um, the death and resurrection? I guess maybe I should rephrase it as like the, the, the acts of the apostles. One of, one of the biggest questions, if not the biggest, ironically was this. Can Gentiles actually be saved? That was funny because today a lot of the church says, well, can Jewish people be saved? After 2,000 years, the question got completely flip flop And if you don't believe me, I'm going to save some time so that we have time for, for really Paul to get into uh, sharing some things. For your own personal uh, vision, Acts, ch- Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 46. Also, Acts chapter 11, verse 9 deals with this. I mean, there's an entire battling going on between Paul, Peter, and James. It's like causing the church to be broken apart. Because some of the disciples are saying, no, Gentiles can't be saved. Jesus came to us. He himself said salvation has come from the Jews. It's for us. It's not for all of them. And thank goodness Peter has a vision. He has a vision of unclean animals. And the Lord says, get up and eat. So a lot of Christians think that's why we're supposed to eat. We're allowed to eat pork. That's not really the theology that's going on there. What's really going on there is he says... All right, rise up and go and now preach the gospel to those things which you have said to be unclean. And who are the things that are unclean? Me, a Gentile. The gospel can go to those people that are unclean because who the Lord has made clean are all clean. Amen. And it's like this Holy Spirit wave of glory comes upon the apostles like, Oh my goodness! Jesus is the Messiah, not just for Israel, but for the entire world the gospel can go to non-jews and we can eat with them and they're no longer unclean this was like one of the biggest theological questions of the day and now two thousand years later i don't know jewish people really should they get saved are they supposed to i don't know i don't know are they really part of the covenant all this kind of crazy stuff it's unbelievable Close it up real soon for me. The problem was in the uh, the beginning days is that there were Jews and Gentiles who were separate, and then there were the dangerous ones in between. Someone like me, who's like, I'm not Jewish, but I understand the roots of the faith. I'm going to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people. Today, even the nation of Israel has no problem with evangelical Christians coming to Israel. But if you're one of the dangerous ones in between that blur the lines between Judaism and Christianity, if you're like, actually, we're not supposed to be separate, but we're all supposed to be one, you know, it's pretty cool to recognize and celebrate Passover and to understand these things. Man, they're like, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. We don't like that. We don't like blurring the lines. Because you blur the lines, there's the unity there. And this same thing happened 2,000 years ago. If you were a Roman, fine. If you were a Roman practicing this this Messiah, fine. If you're a Jew who doesn't believe, fine. But once you started getting this interaction between the two camps, it was like all hell broke loose. All hell broke loose. It got so bad, you're not going to like this, guys, but it got so bad that by the 3rd and the 4th century, the church fathers that they teach you at seminary are proclaiming laws that exclude Jewish people from the church. Jewish people are not allowed in the church. Uh, Gentiles are not allowed to marry Jewish people, even if they are saved. A Jewish person must eat pork if they want to keep to their dietary restrictions, which culturally was what they were to do. They're not allowed to be a part of the church. If they want to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus during Passover instead of Easter... They're not allowed to be a part of the church. They're excommunicated. This is the church fathers that we extol and lift up and say that they're the fathers of our faith. With all due respect, the fathers of my faith is not Jerome, is not Chrysostom, is not any of them. The fathers of my faith is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the disciples, the prophets, and Jesus himself. Yes, the, the, the church fathers said a lot of good things, but they said some really bad things too. That kind of mentality began to create a schism. And the, and the dangerous ones in between went missing. And now you had a Jewish camp and you had a Christian Gentile camp and there was no real interaction. It got so bad that a Martin Luther, oh, Martin Luther, the great father of Protestantism, who believed, believed in replacement theology so much, they actually says that the Jews are dogs. You are to burn their synagogues and kill their children. That is the father of Protestants. Now, he did that at the end of his life. Some people think he might have actually gone mad with disease. But that's where replacement theology can go. Oh, the Jews killed Jesus. We are to kill the Jews. That's Adolf Hitler, who's taking theology from Martin Luther. No, the Jews did not kill Jesus. The sins of humanity, my sin, killed Jesus. My Now, here's the thing. This replacement theology, this misunderstanding of really where the faith has come, Jesus did not come to start a new religion, people. He came to bring all of us on board into the covenant of Abraham. He didn't come and start a new religion. Sorry. A new covenant, yes, but not a new religion. Um, The reason why this stuff is not taught, the reason why many of you have never heard of this before, the reason why there's been a replacement theology that's been around for so long is because it is the spirit of Satan. It is flat out the spirit of Satan. Why? Why? Because Jesus himself said, I will not return to this city of Jerusalem until you say, adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He will not return to planet Earth until the Jewish people, you living in Jerusalem, cry out, say, Yes, blessed are you, you are the Messiah. It's not when I say it or when everyone else in the world says, He says, I love it when you guys say it, but I'm not returning. The time is not ready because Israel is the timepiece for the coming of the Lord until you realize. So Satan himself has done everything he can to keep the gospel to be as far away from the Jewish people, to be as foreign to them as possible, so they do not return. That's why we got our blonde hair, blue hide, Norwegian Jesus. Right? Come on. You know, it's tough, man. I, I, I have like repentance in my heart. I'm like, look, if, if I was a Jewish person, and if the typical Christian presented Jesus to me, I'd be like, there's no way that that's my Messiah. I'll be quite honest. Blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, there's no way that that is who God has sent to rectify all this. I can't believe in it. It's the spirit of Satan. Because that's when the Lord is going to return. All right. Uh, Ezekiel 37 talks about what has happening and save time. Once again, I keep saying, I'm sorry. I'm like, I was born for this. It's like, this is my jam. So I, I could like preach on this for a week. Yeah, that's true. Amen. Uh, Ezekiel 37 talks about the dry bones. Very good chapter, and in the chapter it says, you know, Ezekiel will go and look into the dry bones and you see that your your brethren are there in the valley. And they're all dry bones and they're all dead. The Lord goes on and says what he is going to do is that he's going to look down at the dry bones. He's going to bring those dry bones up and give them life. He will then bring them back to the land of Israel. And then he will pour out his spirit upon them. Three things. He's going to raise up the dry bones. He's going to bring them back to the land of Israel once again. And then he will pour his Holy Ghost fire upon them. My Lord, my Lord. Now, this is what has happened. This is what's so exciting. You live in the most exciting times in the history of man. The most exciting times. Because the Lord's return is, is closer than ever before. And what has happened? Between like 1936 and 1945, we have the Jewish Holocaust of Europe. Out of the ashes of the Holocaust, out of physical, dry, dead bones, the Lord took that nation, took those people who actually survived concentration camps, brought them up, brought them back to the land of the covenant, the land of Israel. In 1948, Israel became a state, became its own nation, first time in 2,000 years. Many of which were Holocaust survivors. Brings the dry bones up, brings them to the land of Israel, and now many people are saying, since essentially 1967, when Jerusalem became the capital of Israel again, there have been more Jewish, or rather more Israeli believers calling upon the name of Yeshua than any other time since the first century than any other time. What I'm trying to tell you is the day and the time is speeding up for the Jewish people living and residing in Jerusalem that cry out and say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are the days that you and I are living in. Your role. We need to gain understanding into this matter, which I'm trying to do. Two, Psalm 122 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What does this mean? When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're not just praying that there aren't uh, suicide bombings going off. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the eternal Prince of Peace, Sarshalom, to return. And the only way that they return, he returns is when the people of Israel say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So praying for Jerusalem is praying for the peace. The only way there is peace is the coming of the Son. The only way there is the coming of the Son is when the natural branch, the seed of Israel, cries out. To God for the Messiah. So pray for that way. Uh, another thing we do is we learn from the Romans. We need to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. You need to share the gospel with Jewish people in the workplace. You live in the second most condensely populated area of the world for Jewish people. Number one is Israel. Number two, outside of Tel Aviv is essentially New York and, and greater area. The Lord has brought Jewish people to this nation. Share the good news. Other people on planet Earth do not have that opportunity if you live in the middle of Nigeria. If you live in the middle of Romania, you can't because Roman Jews have been killed in the Holocaust. But here, they're here and you share the gospel. Be a light, be a friend. Show them that you're not just here to convert them, but you're here as a brother. That's what they want to hear. And lastly, of course, remember. Remember and get your theology right that the nations of the world, it says in the scriptures, the nations of the world, that's including the United States of America. He's got got to bite it, bite the bullet. The nations of the world shall surround Jerusalem and shall surround the Jewish people. And it's going to get so bad, it says, that the nations of the world will look like Israel will be ripped apart from from world history. It's at that moment that something happens. Does anyone know what happens at that moment? Anyone? It says that there's going to be a veiling away of the heavens, and the Son of God, the Messiah, is going to come down and place His feet on the Mount of Olives. And the mountain's gonna break forth and living water will flow down the Valley Kidron, giving life to the desert again. And he'll set up himself as ruler in not D.C., not in Paris, not in London, but in a little desert town called Jerusalem. Remember that. It's not about America. There's one nation that we get to be a part of. spiritually. Last... Oh, the gospel came to you, in part, due to Israel's blindness. Isaiah says, Arise and shine, for thy light has come, has risen upon you. The call of Israel is to be a light unto the nations, to show them monotheism, to show them righteousness. That light has come to us, and now we need to return the favor, and we need to show them their Messiah, that we get to be a part of. It is your role and your calling. In fact, Scripture, it's one of the reasons why you got saved, according to Paul. I'll leave you with this as we invite Paul to come on up. One Gentile woman really got it. She really, really got it. It's from the book of Ruth. If you guys know the story, Ruth has a mother-in-law by the name of Naomi. Ruth is a Gentile. She's, she's, not, she's not an Israelite at the time. Her husband dies. Ruth goes to her mother-in-law. Naomi, Naomi, Naomi. I, I really, I, I don't. Do not urge me to leave you. Or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. You guys ever heard of that one before? Right? this notion of, like, the God of Israel is my God. And Christians all around the world, they get that. Oh, yeah, the God of Israel is my God. Cool. But I'm here to tell you that there's one Gentile woman who got it. Your God is my God, but your people... Shall also be my people. I can't give you that heart. Only the Holy Spirit can. But I'm telling you, my heart burns for not God's people, for my people. They are my brothers, they are my sisters, they have been murdered, tried to be exterminated for my sake. They are the bearers of the covenant the bearers of God's law. And they suffered all of that to give me the Bible and give me the Messiah. Now I want to be part to give that back, to show them their Messiah. Yes, their people, or rather their God is our God, but I pray that in this place, The Holy Spirit would begin to move you to switch some of your spiritual DNA so you begin to understand that, no, you are not Jewish, and neither am I. We're not meant to be. You're not supposed to be. But you get to be adopted into this family. And we need to remind our brothers and sisters of the Messiah. Amen?